Well, I just praise the Lord today because I have been gradually in spurts and uh, definitely at a crisis being free from legalism, but I discover that the roots go very deeply and you don't realize how many facets of your life have been affected by legalism. Another thing I'm finding is a lot of people say, I don't have any trouble with legalism. But after the conference, which is longer than what I'm going to get here, I didn't realize I was legalistic. I didn't realize it. It all comes down to the idea of performance. And listen, if you don't perform on your job, you don't get paid. It goes against everything that uh, is in our culture. So I want to go through a, a PowerPoint, and uh, this will keep me on track, and I can accomplish it and get through it. Yesterday I had a lecture, and I had eight hours that I cut down to four hours. Well, how do you put four hours into one hour? And uh, I was trying to get bits and bits pieces. I hope some of that helps. Anyhow, you have you have your essence of legalism workshop or lecture title. Heavenly Father, truly, without I would think of the words of Jesus. Without me, you can do nothing. And I realize that. I'm not just praying for a good lecture. I'm praying, Lord, for understanding. I'm praying for application. I'm praying we might really learn something from you, not from me. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Here's the essence of legalism. Now, we come up, when we wrote the book, and by the way, I have one book that someone could get, uh, besides the one I got for you. Uh, we had to come up with a definition of what is legalism. Right? It's accepting any belief or conviction that favor with God can be earned. I believe you have it in the notes, right? Yes. Okay? So the idea of legalism is a belief or a conviction that favor with God can be earned. We don't believe that, do we? We don't believe in any way that God's influenced because of my behavior. He's influenced by what happened on the cross. It's adherence to any law or standard in order to attain, gain, or maintain God's acceptance. Now, this is where I've had some difficulty, you know. Yeah, I believe in salvation by grace. I believe I was saved by the grace of God, not by works. But somehow we, we believe or we practice. By the way, we always have two doctrinal statements. The one we say we believe and the one we practice. The one we practice is we think that because we've done something wrong, well, God won't bless me so much today. Mm-hmm. And he deliberately sometimes just shows us it's true, truly of his grace, undeserved. Acceptance before God is based on God's grace, Christ shed blood, and faith activated by the Holy Spirit. Now, I use this on uh, throughout my whole ministry. This is something I came up with back in the 50s. It's from the Word of God. You may have come up with it too. But <clears throat> I am a dispensationalist showing how that God has used different processes or different stewardships or economies through the years. But getting back at the criticism against dispensationalists and believing more than one way of salvation, there isn't more than one way. It's always by grace. It's always by blood. And it's always by faith. And the Bible says without the shedding of blood there's no remission. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. Mm-hmm. And then I go through the idea of, in the Hebrews, the word grace, the Father, the blood, the Son, faith, the Holy Spirit. And that's what I'm getting at here. I believe this is a unique thing from God that goes through all the ages of time. Even though there's more revelation from the Word of God and more uh, different stewardships or economies, God always brings people into fellowship with Him because of His grace, because the blood is shed, and because personal faith. And adding anything to this formula is legalism. Okay? As you know, there are three books in the New Testament. Actually, I believe he God used those three books to explain one Old Testament text, the just shall live by faith. Grace does not lower the standard of holiness. Now, some people got the idea, oh, we're under grace today. Yeah. We can do as we please. I mean, we're, we're not in the law anymore. We're in the grace. It raises it 
It doesn't lower it. But the important thing is he enables us to have it fulfilled by him. So as we know the grace of God and we allow him to work through our life, he fulfills a higher standard. Praise the Lord. Now, legalism results in life lived by the energy of the flesh. Grace enables us to live by the power of the Holy Spirit. The flesh exalts behavior, performance, while the Spirit provides God's gracious enablement. Isn't that a wonderful fact? Trying harder. Haven't we done this? We've tried and we've tried and we've tried. But it comes by trusting Him. Now, I experience this today. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm leaning today on the Lord better than I was yesterday. Uh, I thought by working hard and working hard and working hard and working hard and working hard that I could get this eight hours down to one hour and be able to produce it yesterday. And uh, I realized that uh, I was working too hard. And uh, I didn't do a thing today. I went to that wonderful magic, uh, not magic, miracle last night, the whole life of Christ. Yeah. And uh, I just uh, told him. And this morning at 5 o'clock, I, I received from the Lord, I believe, some help along the idea uh, there were two people that thought we shouldn't talk to Satan we should talk to, to the Lord and it came to me that you know, a lot of our praying is we're telling God what to do give, give us this and bless this and do that should we be telling the Lord what to do if we can tell the Lord what to do we ought to be able to tell Satan what to do right and now I came to me that the word of God is powerful and I, I I came away from one church one time and I said, why is he screaming at us? <laughs> you ever gone to a church where they scream at you? Why is he screaming at me? Now they think that there's more power in the Word of God when they shout it. Yeah, yeah. There's no more power in it. Do you know what the power is? It's inherent within it. It's the truth that sets us free. Yeah. And so we need to use the truth. Now, we can be driven by the flesh or led by the Spirit. Mm -hmm. And legalism emphasizes external behavior, not internal devotion. And a legalist says, blessings result from my performance. The real Christian says, I serve him because I've already been accepted by his great love. Legalism gives the glory to us. And you know what? We like that. <laughs> Grace gives the glory to God. You see, we can never say, I did it. A lot, of, a lot of us think that legalism is simply rules and regulations and strict, strictness and so on, and that's true. But legalism is really independently saying, I can do it. When Jesus said, I can't. Legalism magnifies one's own achievement in contrast to putting total dependence upon God. Legalism is not just wrapped up in obeying laws, but having an independent attitude saying, I can do it myself. Legalism magnifies the ability of the clay rather than the providence and care of the potter. Our acceptance before God cannot be earned. You can never say you earned it. You can't say you've earned anything. You can't say you've accomplished anything. Now we can go to extreme in these things. I remember the girl that when she sang a solo on Sunday and, and someone came up and said, how beautiful you sang. I didn't do it. The Lord did it. And he said, well, I'm sure I saw you up there. Uh, you know, we got to explain what we mean by this. Right? It is Christ in us, right? It has been purchased by the blood of Christ and our devotion is to Him. And I, I like to always increase uh, the occasion of the Lord's Supper communion in our church services. I really think we've neglected it. A lot of people push it aside. I, I serve as interim pastor sometimes and one church I went to, they didn't even know where the community set was. They had to hunt it up. And uh, I don't like to just tack it on. I, I really believe it's important that we remember it. You don't have any controversy about it. You know, nobody says whether it's a good sermon or a bad sermon. Nobody, uh, I didn't agree with that or something. But you know when you come to Lord's Supper? It's just a remembrance of Him. 
and how greatly he paid for our redemption. We belong to him. And uh, that's a tremendous thing. Really, legalism is a slap in God's face when he has provided for everything, for our salvation, for our victory, and we doubt him. Legalism says that God's grace can forgive me of my sin, but it cannot make me totally acceptable before God. That's a lie. The life of grace is one of trusting him. Now, here's where I made my change. It's not laboring. It's submitting to him. It's not rushing. It's resting in him. It's not worrying. It's trusting in him. It's not slaving. It's serving him. Before I tried to make the W's the same, like W, you know, worry, work for him. But it's really trusting in him, right? The true Christian is led by the Spirit, not driven by the flesh. Declares that the law came by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. What are the traits of legalism? Well, by the way, what's behind the book we wrote? By the way, there are three names on there. Neil Anderson's name is first because he's well known. And then Rich Miller. And then my name. And uh, it came from my life story. I was raised legalistically. I'd never gone to a movie. Never darkened in a theater. Even when Billy Graham showed his films there, I would not go into the theater. I never bought anything on Sunday. Uh, I never danced. I never smoked. I never drank. I never put. I was on drugs. I never swore. I always was in church. I thought, I mean, I bought stock in a Christian radio station. I went up with a man when they went to camp and stayed overnight Friday night. We worked at camp, me and the men. I was a teenager. I thought I was winning points with God. I thought the more I worked for God, the more he'd reward me. Surely he'd accept me. I was saved when I was seven. Always in church, always doing these things, and I thought this was a thing to do. Well, it's performance, it's achieving, it's earning, me- measuring up, standards, self-glory, selfishness, perfectionism, self-centeredness, rules, domination, critiquing. Oh, I, we love to critique the pastor's salary, the choir singing, the soloist, the organist, the pianist. We critique. You know, I, I you know, things should be right. <laughs> I've got something I'm working on now. Everything has to be efficient. Everything has to be right. Everything has to be safe. And everything has to be fair. That's a legalistic view. And I'm trying to knock that down and show where it's wrong. Control, isolationism, closed-mindedness, critical, drivenness, dogmatic, rigid, nitpicking, unchangeable, Fault-finding, strict laws, narrow-minded, exacting, demanding, inflexible, intolerance, being right. Ever ever hear those terms? The symptoms now, we come up with a few. Drivenness, self-righteousness, condemnation, self-glory, control, independence, and judgmentalism. They are all killing. (laughs) Right? They are all deafening. They are not helpful to the Christian life or allowing Christ to live his life through us. They're all of the flesh. What's the antidote? Well, the last page I gave you, do you have these uh, listed in your book? Uh, The last page that you have uh, has them on also. The very bottom. Christ's work on the cross dispels our guilt. Now, what I found out, what I discovered, is that there are four main words that characterize the legalist. They're always feeling guilty. They're always feeling shame. In fact, the pastors are trained, I guess. Shame on you for not being in prayer meeting. Shame on you for not being Sunday night. Shame on you for not witnessing. They put the shame on you to try to motivate you. Now, first of all, Christ's work on the cross dispels our guilt. We claim his forgiveness for our sins. 
realizing our identity in Christ dismisses our shame. We claim our birth as children of God. And on that same page in your notes, uh, I'm talking about motivation by shame. A lot of us motivate people in legalism by shaming them. That's an awful way to do it. It really brings a lot of problems. A spirit-filled life of faith delivers us from fear. If you have any faith in the Lord and letting the Holy Spirit have his way, there's not the fear. Tomorrow morning I'm going to speak on the fear of God. I just believe God wants me to speak on that. I really don't believe we fear God. Yeah. I really believe we have a problem with just not fearing God. We fear everybody else but God. But when you fear God, you have no other fear. We claim our faith and courage in Christ. And then there's a fourth one. We have to experience brokenness because it dissolves our pride. <laughs> well, wow. <laughs> when you come to brokenness, sisters and brothers in Christ, when, when you go through brokenness, it does something with your pride. All of a sudden, you, uh, it takes care of your pride. We claim his righteousness, not ours. I love the passage in Romans chapter 10 where it talks about the Jewish people. They were ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness would not submit unto the righteousness of God. <laughs> what I love about that and what it's saying actually is this. They tried to get their own righteousness by working hard and God would say, Listen, I provided. You submit to me and I'll give you mine. God gives us his righteousness. Now, experiencing freedom. First of all, faith renounces the enemy's lies and believing God's truth. We're going to touch on this in a few minutes. Uh, by the way, that last sheet, that last sheet, uh, that I gave you. No, that, those are the steps. Uh, there's two parts to it. There, there it is. Uh, there's so many pages around, I lost track of mine. Uh, this, this is the page. Uh, legalism produces guilt. Is a disabling belief. I feel guilty. This is the legalist. Okay? Uh, now, uh, I'll go through these quickly. The word is trust. You see the word trust at the end? I'll tell you where, where this is. I didn't show you actually. This page with the arrows on it. You notice where I start here? Drivenness. That's the symptom, okay? And then it causes guilt. See underneath it? Mm -hmm. That drivenness develops guilt in the life. How do we remedy that? Faith. Believing God. And then you have the application. Appropriating walking by faith. Okay? And then what's the result? A trust. It brings about acceptance. Okay, that's what I'm going through. That page there. And what, they, what this page is now is the five steps out of legalism, out of the bondage of legalism, and I'll give you, you've got a copy of those three pages, six sides, how to get out of legalism. I've added that to it two of them. What do we do now that we're freed from the bondage of legalism? What do we do then? So I've added two more. Now, I'll go through these quickly. The next is confession, acknowledging our sins and wrong attitudes, not protecting our image. Do you know what legalists want to do all the time? They want to protect their image. When I was a pastor and I had my son at home and he's cleaning his car on Sunday, I said, honey, people in the area know I'm pastor here. Mm. And what will they think? You see you out here washing your car on Sunday. I'm serious. I did this. You know, I was protecting my image. This is, this is, this is legalism. Uh, next is forgiveness, forgiving those who have hurt us and led us away from enjoying freedom of Christ. We're going to go through this uh, in the steps. You have liberation as a result. Uh, by the way, uh, good or bad, 
that last page with those arrows, I probably spent probably five weeks on that, bringing all those things in and changing and revising and so on. I hope it's helpful. The next is praise, giving God all His great rightful honor and fearing Him rather than fearing and pleasing people. You know what we, you know what we really do. We're concerned about what people think of us. I'm talking about in legalism now. We're con- con- concerned about how people see us. We're fearing people. We're pleasing people. When we ought to be fearing God and fearing, not fearing people, but fearing God. Fearing and pleasing God, right? And of course, when you get out of this, it causes you to have humility. Surrender. Realizing God's over ownership of us and delighting in His will. See, a lot of legalists, not all, I mean, not not just some, but all of us, if we're legalistic, we do things out of duty. We're supposed to go to church on Sunday morning. We're supposed to be in church Sunday night. We're supposed to be at prayer meeting. We're supposed to be witnessing to people. It's a duty. Pleasing God. Yeah, we ought to be pleasing God, but the only one I can do is the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ in us. Well, Surrender does something about that. Brings submission. Then we have dependence. Total dependence upon the Holy Spirit to express the life of Christ through us while welcoming the help of others. Now, see, a legalist person really doesn't want the help of someone else. They can do it themselves. But when we experience dependence upon God, we learn that, by the way, I've been independent Baptist all my life, just about. And I, I'm i now an interim pastor in an independent church. And you know what I do? I talk about how much we're dependent upon God and independent on each other, and we are not independent. <laughs> you say that? I say, yes. People say, you mean you say that to them? I say, yes. We are not independent. God always pictures us as a body of believers together. We are dependent on each other. We need each other. And I'm telling you, we need everyone here in our church. We need you. We need each other. We're not independent. We're totally dependent on God. Totally. Without Him, we can do nothing. I better not preach too much. I better go on here. (laughs) Dependence brings, and uh, dependence upon God brings confidence. You know, I, I preached a few weeks ago on confidence. Do you know why? Because people are fearful. Wondering what's going to take place now in our nation, in the, in the disruption in our finances, and the future doesn't look too great. What do we depend on? Well, we can't depend upon the housing industry. We can't depend upon our money. Tell us what my bumper sticker says, honey. I'll keep my freedom, my money, and my guns. You had the guns and that money goes last. The gun, I'll, I'll keep my freedom, my guns, and my money, and you can have the change. Uh, we can't depend upon our finances. We can't depend upon our guns. We can't depend upon these things. We have to depend upon the Lord, right? Well, also, Obama would not have been elected had not the Lord allowed that to Right. And, and Would you think that the Lord is trying to teach us not to depend upon the things we've been depending on? Well, maybe that, but I also think that He gives us what we deserve sometimes. Well, that's true. As a nation, we deserve yes. Yes. where we are. Yes. I believe you're right. We've, we've earned it. You know why we forgot God? Yeah, absolutely. We want to rule God out. God. In God we trust? No. Put it on the edge of the coin. Out of pressure, though, they put it back on the front. They want to take out of our pledge under God. Our nation is turning against God. Absolutely. Taking out of schools. Trying to take out of government. Well, the last one is fellowship, and that brings intimacy. Okay? Now, we need to have a balance in obedience and under, under grace. Uh, I had on here, first of all, license versus legalism. You know, license... But I've got now on this looseness. 
You know what we have a lot today is you have these in your in your notes, second page or something. Uh, we had a lot of legalism. Now a lot of people are going to looseness. I mean by that that anything is all right. You know, you go to the book of Judges, and twice it says everyone. There's no king in Israel. Everyone did that which is right in his own eyes. And I'm I'm saying that's looseness. And uh, this is the casual age. You know, there's not a lot of casualness if you're neat and so on. We shouldn't be disrespectful. Even though the most sacred spot on earth is our life as a Christian, more than the church or the communion table or something like that. But we should have respect for God's property and God's house and, and uh, respect in all kinds of ways. And I see a lack of respect by many, many people on everything. There's a looseness. Now, we're not free from doing God's will. We're not under law, but we're not free from doing God's will. And I come up with a little statement this week. You can't do God's will without obeying Him. You cannot do God's will without obeying Him. Now, on the one side, we're not free from God doing God's will. On the other side, I'm saying, but free from the bondage of the law. Uh, now, we need a balance. We have liberty in allowing Christ to fulfill His will through us. We have that liberty, we have that freedom of allowing Christ to fulfill His will through us. It's not a matter of working hard at it, nor it doesn't matter now. It's, it's le having the liberty and freedom to allow Christ to fulfill His will through us. Just a matter of surrender. But we see, we don't want surrender. I say when we, the usual people, you can get them to do anything else, They'll give money to church. They'll give money to all kinds of things. But they don't want to give up their rights. They don't want to give up their their uh, control. In John 1, 14 and 17, we have Jesus, Moses came by the law, or gave the law, but grace came by grace and truth. What I'm saying here now is in our life, we not only need grace, we need grace and truth. Individuals and churches, they love grace. A lot of them love grace. We love grace. We teach grace. We preach grace. We're a grace church. But in many cases, we need to embrace more truth. Because it's the truth that sets you free. Now, on the other hand, individuals and churches that guard the truth, they stand for the truth. We preach the truth. But you know what? They have little grace and compassion for other people. So, so here's the two extremes. And really, I found this in the Bible. When you have two extremes, the Holy Spirit is usually in the center. <coughs> On these, all kinds of things we kind of argue about once, once in a while in theology. There are two extremes usually. And usually the Holy Spirit's in the center. Not in either of the extremes. Now here are the two extremes. They love freedom and forgiveness, but they neglect Bible study and morals. The other people stand for truth. They, they critique others. That isn't right. Concerning the truth, but are not gracious. On the one hand, strong on grace, but weak on truth. The others, quick to judge, slow to forgive. So these are the extremes. We need grace and truth. We need gracious believers who strongly stand for the truth. And we need strong believers who are graciously led by the Spirit. Grace prevents self-righteousness and legalism. And truth prevents moral indifference and looseness. Grace is not about lowering God's standards. It's about surrendering to Christ and allowing Him to meet them. That's such a wonderful life, a life of grace and truth. Standing in the truth, knowing the grace of God, the balance, a completeness of grace and truth. Paul, sorry to interrupt. Sorry, sorry about to take that call, but I, I was talking with a, a couple of times, a couple of occurrences. This happened to me, but teaching through the the uh, race discipleship 
course over there and getting through chapter two of total forgiveness and a lot of people struggle with that and it's totally a grace thing it's a Christ thing and not of us and and two people have one person said that that one pastor told me well you're, you're giving people a license to sin that's first of all I don't authorize the issue license for anything but uh so I'm not giving anything but, but truth but the thing I told him and then I had another similar guy that made a, a, a similar comment about and, and lowering God's standards I think sums it up but is that okay well you can go out and, and do whatever you want and grace is going to cover it I, I view that as I question both of them even this pastor I question both of their salvation if that's the attitude of your heart when I, when I see grace I see the, the goodness of God leads me to repentance and when I understand this it makes me want to be more holy and yeah. more righteous and more loving because I see him as a God of love and and mercy but how, how, what, how do you feel about that? Or have you encountered that before me to put that statement in there? Well, when you were gone, I covered okay, I'm sorry. covered that, didn't I? Uh, we need the balance. Exactly. God raised the standard. Mm-hmm. He didn't lower it. But he provided us Christ and the Holy Spirit to fulfill it. That's but it means we have to surrender to it. Right. And uh, we don't need just grace. We need grace and truth. But I'm trying to show here that we need both. Sure. That's how Jesus came. He came by grace and truth. God's standards of holiness are not standards are not lowered under grace. They're raised. And uh, grace does not make a believer less holy. Enables him. This is the wonderful thing about the exchange life. It doesn't depend on us. Depends on him. Yeah. That's why I'm, the second book I'm writing. Uh, oh, I didn't finish about the book. This was based upon my life story, and then Rich made it beautiful. Rich Miller. He and I got together every week on Tuesday and prayed two hours. When we started that, I didn't think I could ever pray two hours. I prayed just about everything I knew in about two or three minutes. <laughs> but I learned and I grew, and we hit. Out of that came this book. Neil Anderson's name is on the top, as I mentioned. But, you know, he, we came to the 300 pages, and he said he was supposed to write the last page. Oh, no, no, he said, I'm not going to write anything on this. This is it. It'd be anticlimactic. But it's Neil's name that sells it. <laughs> so what's the name of the book? Breaking the Bondage of Legalism. And I mentioned that. I have one copy. Yeah, I got, um... you, can, you can purchase it. When I when I buy a hundred when I buy a hundred of them I can buy them for seven fifty. But I saw one in an outlet one time for a dollar ninety five. <laughs> but I don't buy a hundred at a time, so I can't give even seven. If you want the last one I have, it's ten dollars my cost. Praise the Lord! He doesn't make believers less holy. He enables us to be more holy. Grace never come never causes believers to despise and avoid truth. That's the thing you need to look. Listen, even though we claim to be under grace today and we love grace and we don't love grace teaching, we are not pleasing God. We don't really have a, a spirit-filled life if we don't really have respect for the truth. It causes them to adore and practice truth. What's it cause us to do? When we love the grace of God and come to know Him personally and intimately, we want to please Him. We don't want to do anything that displeases Him. Grace does not lower the bar. It enables us to jump over the bar. I used to love to see my son. I couldn't ever believe this. But I used to go to watch him high jump. And uh, first of all, it was high school. And then he went down to Furman University. And ju- I used to take him down there and he'd jump. And then he won the state championship in, in private schools state of North Carolina I think he jumped uh, six foot five taller than me <laughs> I couldn't believe it uh, but anyhow that's what God did kept raising the bar under grace but he always provides that what it takes to enable us to go over the bar or reach the bar biblical grace causes us to have great respect for biblical truth you know, years ago, most people 
true is a church based on what they believed and taught was the truth. Not many choose a church for what it offers and whether it makes them feel comfortable. Sorry, that's the truth. Grace and truth must both be involved in your choice of behavior. The scriptures tell us to speak the truth what? It doesn't say withhold the truth in love. It says speak the truth in love. So we're to do it in love, but also speak it. Sometimes we, we love people and we don't want to say anything that they might not agree with. We, it says to speak the truth in love. It doesn't say withhold it. God's grace never encourages us to live loosely. Never and never encourages us to live loosely or in sin. It strengthens us to say yes to truth and no to sin. Here's the chart that I come up with. The yellow, of course, speaks of the presence of God and how the, the yellow going through there, he wants to permeate our life. And the orange, Satan wants to feed us a lie and short-circuit that process. I wish I'd have brought copies for you. The, the vertical on the, in the spirit, the vertical thing, I can't read what it says. What does it say? It says experiencing Christ's life. And the purple one down to the to the left here is expressing his life. One is experiencing his life, and one is expressing his life. That, now we don't have that chart. No, legalism, legalism produces guilt. Any questions? Bring them up right now. Legalism produces guilt, and it comes from a wrong belief. First thing it causes is it causes guilt. Remember this lady in this revival meeting. She went forward every night, and I said, well, "Why? Why do you go forward every night? I just feel so guilty." I said, "When you can take God's word and really believe Him, you won't have to go forward anymore. You can't earn it. It's already been paid for." Isn't that a wonderful truth to share with people? There's a restrict... Now, by the way, I come up with... Uh, there's two kinds of legalism. I thought at first there was a possibly... Excuse me. Negative legalism and positive. I can't do this. Can't go there. Can't do the other. And then there's a positive legalism. Uh, got to go this. Got to do that. Got to do there. And I discovered, you know, there is no such thing as positive legalism. It's all negative. So I better come up with different terms. So I come up with this. Restrictive legalism and aggressive legalism. You know, the restrictive, we restrict ourselves, of course. That's uh, the negative legalism. The don't. And then the aggressive legalism. Got to be at church. Got to do this. Do this. You know, our church is just doing this and doing that. It can be an aggressive legalism. Got to do it. Come tonight and we'll tell you ten things we must do as Christians. Hmm. Legalism is merely outward compliance when one puts too much emphasis on right behavior. He opens himself up to guilt. A recent survey that we took, by the way, you'll get a kick out of that. When we wrote our book, we thought we'd get George Barna to do a survey for us. And uh, Rich found out that it would cost $1,000 per question. He said, I think we ought to probably have about six to eight questions. What? That's six to eight thousand dollars. I said, well, let's cut that down. Uh, so we finalized, uh, we finalized six. The publisher, Harvest House, said, we'll put up two thousand dollars. And Rich said, well, I'll put up two thousand. I said, I'll put up two thousand. So we came up with six thousand dollars and we took a survey. We had six questions. And I, I got them, but I won't take the time with all six. But in that survey, we found out that 60% of Christians felt guilty for past sins. They still feel guilty. So this is what legalism does. It makes us feel guilty. Do we, do we have this chart? Yes, uh, the last page. Uh, I was writing it down. I can find it. What's this right here? Oh, is this one? Uh, yeah, right here. What, 
with my face. No, that it doesn't have that. That face doesn't have it. No, it, 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 it's, uh... We have only the effects, but not the... Uh, me? We have only the effects, but not the rest of it. Okay. So yeah, you yeah, have it. Okay. Okay, yeah, it just doesn't have those bubble what's under out there. So. It comes from a wrong belief, see? Now, the four ways legalists enslave others with false guilt. Uh, teaching the Bible without pointing to Christ, uh, preaching the Bible without explaining the context, uh, adding additional things not covered in the Bible, pressuring, you know, ladies aren't supposed to wear pants. You know, uh, I've seen pastors take their professor class away. They can't teach anymore because they're wearing pants. What's that? I mean, uh, where's the scripture for it? Well, men's clothing. I remember uh, Alden Gannett down at Southeastern Bible College. He talked to me about this issue when it first came out. I mean, the issue came out strongly. And uh, the preacher was preaching against uh, wearing pantsuits. The women were wearing pantsuits. And so he asked his wife, he said, what, what, do you, what do I do? What do I say about this? Well, let me give it some thought. So she came back and she said, you know what? I really don't think that men would wear them. <laughs> Real Christianity surpasses legalism. God's grace offers us much more. We're not only need to believe that Christ died for our sins, but that he, we died with him, right? We have been forgiven of all our sins, past, present, and future. It doesn't mean that we no longer sin because temptation has lost, hasn't lost its allurement. And I tell people, you know, uh, you know, I, I ask people, when did you preach on hell last? Preach on hell? Well, I want you to know this. They haven't lowered the heat in hell. I don't believe you. I think we ought to warn people. We not only need to believe that Christ died for sins, but we die with him. We, we have been forgiven of all our sins, past, present, and future. It doesn't mean that we no longer sin because temptation has not lost its allurement. And uh, by the way, because we sin doesn't make us a sinner. We're no longer a sinner. We're saints. We sin sometimes. Just like calling your, your daughter or son a liar because he, because he or she lied. You should never tell them you lied. Uh, pardon me. You, you're a liar. We shouldn't use the term good boy or bad boy. Or good girl or, bad, or good girl. Or bad girl. Because we're, we're, we're teaching against what we believe. You're a liar. No, she's not a liar. She lied. That doesn't make her a liar. What you ought to tell her is this. Honey, you are not a liar. So why are you lying? You're a child of God, so why are you acting like the world? We tell a bad boy if he crosses the street, so he crosses the street, we think he's a bad boy. He thinks he's a bad boy. No, he's the same kid that was on this side, right? We're a new creation in Christ. I like to show it in my diagram that I had on there, that in the spirit part of us, that's already complete. That is the life of Christ. The Holy Spirit is there. We're a new creation. That's where old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new in our spirit. Now God is working in our soul, in our emotion, in our will, and mind. That's where God is working today. The renewing of the mind is primary. That's where the real battle is. And that's done by truth. Renewing the, the mind with truth. And Satan is coming there to the mind, to the threshold of the mind, and trying to inject by deception and by sin and temptation, he's trying to inject their lies. I'm no good. I'm never going to make it. God couldn't accept me. I'm going to achieve God by what I do. That's a lie. Let me skip that. Christian life is a relationship of grace. Christ has drastically changed us. Trying harder brings more guilt. Christ's death has freed us from being controlled by the law. 
we're now under a grace system. Many legalists don't really believe that God wants them to enjoy life. So they never have an intimate relationship with Him. I did it. I've done it. I've lived in it. I didn't think I was supposed to enjoy life. I was serious. Reading my Bible, praying, working for God. Working for God. Doing everything for God. I heard a definition of, of grace and law. Law is doing something for God. Grace is God doing something for you. Amen. That's right. Now, this is the second part. Legalism fosters shame and is a degrading motivation. Remember I mentioned to you that I was going to be talking about motivation by shame. Shame on you for not going to church. Shame on you for not doing this. Shame on you. Shame is a powerful motivator. Guilt says I've done something wrong. Shame says I'm what's wrong. Shame brings a strong, disheartening sense of failure and worthlessness. When you get a look at what legalism really is, how how it invades every area of our life, brings guilt, it brings shame. Shame says I don't measure up to what others expect of me. Who others expect? See, because our deacons and our elders and our pastors put on us a lot of shame because we're not doing everything they think we should do we start believing that we don't measure up. And what we find we're not doing is we're not measuring up to what people expect. But our devotion should be to the one who died for us. Right? Shame tells me to hide things. By the way, legalists tend to hide things. They're not open. They're not real. They're not truthful. They're not honest. They're not open. They're not transparent. They want to leave the proper image. Not because of intimacy with God. He sees everything, right? It's because of people. The works of legalism. Legalism is more concerned with laws than life. You know, I, I was reading in a book concerning this issue. And uh, I won't go into the detail because of time. But... In Bryson City, where I'm serving as an interim pastor right now, plus working with the Freedom of Christ, this actual thing happened. And what it was, was coming down Spring Street there, and the story in the book wasn't Spring Street, of course, but coming down this, this hill, Spring Street, into the town of Bryson City, North Carolina, this big uh, concrete, concrete truck, all filled with concrete, came down that hill and lost its brake. And down there at the bottom of the hill was an intersection with a red light. And there was a car sitting there with a lady in it. And, of course, the law says you're supposed to stop at a red light, right? And so she did. But this truck is coming down without any brakes and tooting the horn, flashing the light, hollering as much as he could, doing everything he could to let this lady know in this car that he was coming without brakes. Now, she had a choice. Do I keep the law stringently with no regard for the results? Or do I do what the result needs to be with that law? And that is the law is to protect people, right? The law is to protect people in life, right? So now she has a choice whether she can just pull on the corner and get out of the way somehow of this truck coming or she can keep the, the law stringently and just sit there and let that truck hit her. Well, we don't really know what went through her mind because a truck came and pushed her car and the truck over to the, oh, maybe 300 feet to a bridge and they went both over the railing of the bridge into the river, Takasiji. And the truck on top of the car and they both were killed. But she kept the law. But you see, the legalist is concerned about the law more than they are concerning life. Living. Letting Christ live. And see, the thing is, we don't know what went through our mind, so we're just injecting here, but uh, 
she could have just, you know, got out of the way. Because when a fire truck comes, don't you get out of the way and do some things that maybe are legal? Uh, the fire truck goes through the red light sometimes, right? Because they're out for life, trying to save life. So it's the spirit of the law that's important, okay? Some use shame to motivate people. Legalism is more concerned with the opinions of men and women, but they're concerned about people's opinions. Our allegiance should be to the glory of God, and be the glory of God. Deeds of the flesh versus the fruit of the Spirit. Legalism is a yoke of bondage which causes us to fall from the high privilege, privilege of living under grace. An effort for uh, an effort to relate to God. It's a little too far away from me, I guess, by works rather than by faith. Oh, by the way, one thing that I'd I'd be glad to make available would be all these slides to you uh, on a six on a page or something. If uh, if you, if there's people that want them. Uh, I think it would be. A belief that doing will achieve being. That's what legalism does. But we have learned heavily that being changes what we do. Yes. Legalism is more concerned with laws than life. Uh, I thought we changed it. Legalism leads a life of duty while never really knowing him as a person. You know, I, I find this true. I've, I've been a Christian since I was seven. I've been in the Lord's work since I was 14 years of age. And I've, I've, I'm not bragging. I've done all of it. Played my trumpet for 50 years. I've sung in the choir. I've sang solos, sang duets, sang in quartets. I, I have actually built two, two churches, designed them, bought all the material, contracted them, uh, drew the drawings, been on the radio, Worked in a Catholic area. A lot of people got saved. Uh, worked at camp for 23 years in Bryson City. Uh, I mean, just, I'm not bragging about this. But my greatest desire now is to know Him. It's not going to be what I did, but what God did to me. It's all about Him. That's why I'm not writing about the grace of God. I'm writing about the God of grace. And uh, it's all about Him. If our desire is to please Him, it's all going to work out to His glory. So instead of a duty, it's a delight. Why did you come here? A delight, right? Leaders have a desire for knowledge instead of an intimate relationship. By the way, that's the most valuable thing in life. His relationship. Christ living through us brings fulfillment before God. Shame leaves when we realize our identity. We can't earn from God. We only can receive. We try to achieve, but God says to us, believe and receive. Our third. Our time is up, isn't it? Legalism generates fear and is a crippling control. It cripples us. This fear... Why does why is Satan pictured as a roaring lion? He wants to instill fear. And when he instills the fear, it's easy taking. So he wants to instill fear in us. So legalism does that. It's a crippling control. Legalism seeks to control and domineer. Uh, conformity is demanded and expected in order to be accepted. And legalism thinks controlling others by inspiring, insisting on certain standards, you know, just like uh, the thing I've been facing recently is they say I'm, we're fundamental, we're evangelical, we're premillennial, we're King James only. What? The church I'm now working with, they've always used King James, always have. And someone just wrote the church wanting to be pastor there and, and uh, they wrote and said we only use the 1611 King James Version. I doubt if they've seen one. If they have seen one, they can't read it very well. The one we use is King James, is 1769. 
But the church has now taken a stand. We're not going to have anyone come that says King James only. We want them to be more free. We've taught them victory of the darkness and bondage breaker. We've taught them for me to live as Christ. Uh, one of the books we have here. I saw it right in there. Uh, so they're coming. I was a young Christian. Paul actually showed me a real 1611. I had a 1769 thinking that I had the 1611. I couldn't read a word. <laughs> <laughs> Legalism seeks to gain a sense of worth through performance. This is done to prevent rejection from people rather than from God. The law has power to condemn, but no power to impart life. Number one motivator in ministry is the fear of failure. They say that the number one problem with pastors is their fear of failure and fear of losing their job. Legalism fuels fear leading to perfectionism. By the way, the Lord Jesus is a perfect, perfect, but he is not a perfectionist. He's just automatically, intimately perfect. Perfectionism is working hard to be absolutely perfect. Well, Lord Jesus doesn't have to work hard to do that, does he? Legalism fuels fear. Legalism standards too high to match. Uh, people think measuring up brings acceptance. Only one has ever qualified, and you know what? He was perfect, but he wasn't a perfectionist. Uh, but uh, the only one that qualified was Jesus, and he lost his life. Perfectionists cannot enjoy life. They major on law. Our belief, our behavior will never be perfect, but our new spiritual identity in Christ is perfect. Amen. In Hebrews 4, it talks about a rest that replaces fear. Legalism keeps people from truly walking and dependent upon the Father. Because they're always trying to measure up, they're always trying to work for people, please God, uh, do what's right. Wow! Takes away your sleep, takes away your joy, doesn't allow you to build relationships. Jesus modeled the walk of faith. He was led by the Spirit, He was controlled by His Father, He lived a life of prayer. Jesus had an intimate relationship with the Father. Jesus lived a life dependent upon the Father and the Holy Spirit. I'm not trying to go through this rapidly, but I'm going to have to. Um, especially when it's slow like that. <laughs> uh, maybe you got some questions you want to ask. Let's spend a minute or two. If you want, uh, and we can. You want to do that through email? What's that? You want to transfer that through email? I copy it. Uh, we we can do that, can't we? I can help you with that, Paul. Okay. Because we have. You could do that. Roster. Does anyone get a roster copy yet? Yeah. Yeah. We have everybody's email. So, uh, if Paul gets his consent, we can send it to you by email. I like to keep close to the time, anyhow. You got a question? Well, I spent a lot of time and effort struggling with what uh, I was in the law and in legalism with how to how to find God's will so I know what to do. Yeah. And and uh, now I understand that that what He wants from me, His will for me, is is to have a relationship with Him, and then. He'll reveal everything else I need to know, and, and I'll, yeah. I'll understand what he's saying because he lives right here. Yeah, I'm doing that deliberately. I want, I want to show you. See, I, I don't know too much about it. Okay. I want to get here to, to another point and just leave leave something with you. I want to take that the practical aspects out. They're very good. Not because I did it, but because they're from the Word of God. Uh, amen. Anybody else got a question or a comment? Aren't you glad you're not legalistic? This is the last point. Legalism develops pride mm -hmm. and is a boasting attitude. 
See, not only is this a wrong belief, it's also a boasting attitude. Legalism just reaps out of the life. And uh, now, uh, the last thing I want to talk about, just mention, because I'm out of time, is you've got three sheets of paper, and what that is, is the same thing, same type of thing as the seven steps to freedom except they are steps of breaking the bondage of legalism. Now, step number three is on forgiveness, which is the same as step three in the seven steps. But most of the rest is new. And a lot of people who are affected by legalism, and amazing how many people there are, I, I would take them through the seven steps and this. And we are trying to work with Harvest House and being able to get this to where it's free to be uh, put into booklets and sold and that kind of thing to get it out because there are many of our staff that are using these steps, these five steps. The last one, if you notice, is surrendering our rights. You know all about that, but this is a way to lead people to that point. They check, you see, and then do the prayer. Same as the seven steps. But I wanted you to have a copy. And so I take the responsibility for making these copies for you. They are copyrighted. And, uh, uh, but I'm hoping one of these days that we can have uh, this available. Uh, in the new book, we hope to have these five steps plus the two additional ones, the matter of dependence upon God and fellowship. You see, these are the five of getting out of legalism. The other two are what do we do now. Well, we depend on God and have fellowship with Him, getting, getting intimacy with Him. So that, yes. Have you considered that? putting this in, in an ebook format and just selling it yourself to a website or something? I really don't care how, how it's done. I That's would like to have it available. You can get it out immediately and you can do that yourself without anybody's permission. Our church does that a lot. So except that these are copyrighted. Are yeah. copyrighted by you though, right? Or not? What's that? Are they copyrighted by no, you? No. Oh, okay, I'm sorry. When you, you know, I'm learning a lot. Yeah. When you give a manuscript to a publisher, it belongs to them. Oh, I got you. They put up all the money to publish it, I, I didn't know they and, that. and whether they whether they uh, make a profit or lose money, that's up to them. See. Yeah. Uh, but Rich Miller and I have been making these in our conferences, and they know it at Harvest House. But they, uh, if you make copies of it, uh, you do what the Lord needs you to do. But I want you to have a copy of it, okay? Thank you. And. Uh, Use it for the glory of God. That's uh, that's what I want to present to you. Yes. I was just curious how long ago that you, that you came to this, that you described your life where, where, where you saw this. You know, how long well, let me, let me give you a little idea. Let me give you a little idea. Uh, I'm glad, John, about your one sheet there because in 1952, I went in an upper room in London, Ontario, Canada, and I knew what it was to die to self. And my old man died. That was in 1952. And different crises have happened in my life. And, but it wasn't until my wife died that the brokenness brought me to a point where I met Joyce, and she talked to me about exchange life and Chuck Solomon. You don't know him? No. And you know, we only have one nature. No, we have two. So I went to Dr. Solomon's conference in Pelzer, South Carolina. And I went to the workshop for uh, Grace Fellowship in Atlanta. And then I went back for the eight-week uh, internship for intensive all day long. And Joyce and I were married there at Grace Fellowship, Atlanta. They, uh, I was wondering where to get married, and they talked me into being married there. So I took all the six people, five others beside myself in the class. They can only take six at a time. And I had Mike Quarles, who was in my class, marry us. And I had Don Wagner, who was the head of it all. Uh, 
participate by reading scripture. And I had one of the fellows in the class uh, sing a solo. I had them all participate. We took that counseling center down in Atlanta and made a little chapel out of it. And uh, that was at 1 o'clock on a Friday. I graduated at 12, got my certificate for the training, and then at 1 o'clock we got married, and at 2 o'clock it was all back in counseling center again. And she and I left the place with my car decorated and hers not. <laughs> Did you ever see a wedding where they got married and had two cars leave? And, and <laughs> okay, now, through that experience, uh, I, I came in to understand the exchange life more fully. Now, I had studied Keswick. The law of liberty and the spiritual life, actually back in 1952, is what God used to really bring me to a point of realizing about our old man dying. The law of liberty and spiritual life. And then some years later, I ran into the book by Watchman Nee, the normal Christian life. And I I went up to Pennsylvania and to see the aunt and uncle, and he was a debit on prudential insurance, and he'd go to all these homes and collect the money, and I was sitting on the curb, moving with him on the curb, reading this book, Normal Christian Life. And kids would come along, what are you doing, what are you doing? Well, through that book, Normal Christian Life, the Lord brought me another step. And then when my wife passed away, uh, the Lord really got a hold of me. So it wasn't just one one day. Uh, that was in 1988, you said? Did yes. You yes. Took that long for God to get to that point. God bless. Any other questions? Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you, Dean.